Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion. The progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. Political anoraks in this country are fascinated by the extra pizzazz of American politics. Last week saw the number of UK-based US experts skyrocket for the midterm elections. But who can you really trust on this stuff? And what was the real story in the results? I'm your host, Connor Pope, and I'll be discussing that with MP and Chair of Progress, Alison McGovern, a political consultant and former advisor to Tony Blair, Matthew Doyle. Alison, you've been in Lebanon this week. Um, What have you been doing there? So the all-party parliamentary group for the Lebanon... Uh, asked if I would join them. So it's a collection of cross-party politicians um, who were invited to go and meet with the Lebanese government and others. Um, And my particular interest is the situation in Syria and the the impact on the Lebanon as a neighbouring country of the conflict in Syria has been significant. People may know that um, over a million Syrian refugees are now in the Lebanon we often think about the impact of the refugee crisis on Europe, but the refugee crisis's main impact has been on the Middle East, um, and particularly Lebanon, because um, they have so many refugees um, in their country. Population of the Lebanon um, is uh, is about three and a half million, and there are about a million Syrian refugees. So that's really nearly a quarter of the population in in Lebanon. In Lebanon. Lebanon now is Syrian. So that means some quite significant things for Lebanon now. However, what people may not be aware of is that Lebanon obviously had a, had a, its own conflict some years ago. The result of that is a political situation that is not dissimilar from Northern Ireland in that when they have um, elections, certain positions in the government are reserved for people from different backgrounds. So from the Maronite Christian community or from the Muslim community. And there are, uh, I think I'm right in saying there are 18 described kind of um, what they call confessions, uh, cultural and religious groups. And the aim of, of the government is basically to try and make sure that everybody is represented in that 
but that means that progress can be really slow. And it also means that, like in Northern Ireland, taking decisions is a fine balance. It's a fine balance of interests. So the rapid population change that the Lebanon has seen makes life very difficult. Meanwhile, uh, Lebanon is a middle income country. Um, it's, you know, Beirut and, uh, and other towns and places in Lebanon are, you know, beautiful, amazing places, but there is nonetheless still some poverty there and very poor Lebanese people are kind of not that much better off than, than Syrians who are now refugees. So there are tensions, you know, between, between people and, the UN is funding support, you know, with with help from the British government um, and other governments. The UN is is supporting the refugees quite rightly so, trying to make sure that they have the basic necessities of life, and that um, they're able to feed their family and get, make sure their kids don't lose out on education. But they're doing so in a in a in a environment that is politically tense. And the big question, I think, is if the Syrian uh, conflict is calmed such that people feel confident about going back or start to feel confident, how can, how can people be sure that the sort of activities that went on in Syria are not going to happen in the future and that they genuinely will be safe to return? Because for a lot of refugees, they've had a horrific experience. And there are a proportion of the, of the refugees who are there um, you know, not not a great proportion, but some tens of thousands who tell uh, UN uh, workers that they probably won't be able to ever go back to Syria. And that might be because somebody's been part of a political protest before, so they just know that it wouldn't it's be safe, yeah. it wouldn't be realistic for them for them to be safe. Or it might be because somebody in their family might have a medical condition that is a particular challenge. And so they need help from the UN to find somewhere where they could get good treatment. And that's where it, Britain's position is currently very frustrating. So last year we accepted about a thousand Syrian refugees from the region. So not people who'd already got to the UK um, or people who got to Europe, but from, from this country surrounding Syria itself. And, you know, that's not, it's not really enough. We can't ask the Lebanon to host a million people and ourselves only be able to accept a thousand people who are vulnerable. You know, we're talking, we're not talking about people who, who might be economic migrants. We're talking about, um, children, people who might have a complex medical condition for which they need, you know, regular treatment, um, people who are really for political reasons vulnerable. So I have been putting fairly constant pressure on the government to help and take more refugees from the region. And I've basically come back from Lebanon thinking that's even more what they ought to be doing. So what kind of um, activism or campaigning things can people do uh, if they want to help on, on this kind of issue? People should definitely sign up to support Refugee Action and other campaigns. They help refugees from everywhere. Um, Syria Relief are an organisation that has a base in, in the northwest of England that people can also sign up to support. They help um, support refugees. And I would also recommend that people wrote to their Member of Parliament and asked them to ask a question about the number of refugees from Syria that the UK has accepted and whether we couldn't help a little bit more. Excellent. Uh, Alison, thanks for that. And next we'll be talking to Matthew Doyle about the US 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Last week was the midterm elections in the USA. Uh, Matthew, was it a good night for the Democrats? Well, it was a good night for the Democrats in the sense that they won back one part of government and that the government in the US is no longer a one-party state for the Republicans. But as ever, when you try and look at the results as a whole, there's something for everyone really in terms of being able to look at the results. And for Donald Trump, the main thing is that he's kept a grip of the Senate and all of the procedural advantages that coming from that. But for the Democrats, there are green shoots in terms of being able to see a way through to victory in 2020, not least with some of the governor's races they picked up. Is that partly because of just how many, elect- all the different bits of the American system there are? Like, So it, every election will be good for someone somewhere because it's so big. It's like, so dis- it's like a like our local elections but on a much much bigger scale because like this is the story of our local elections all the time it's like well some good some bad news for everybody yeah every for every result in Bury, there's one in peterborough that each side can claim or whatever to to cancel out no there's a bit of that but look i mean i think if you look at the results then there were over 30 house seats that the uh, democrats flipped and if you do do the projection which obviously is not Uh, scientific well it is scientific but it's not necessarily accurate in terms of what will happen in 2020 if this had been a presidential election then the democrats would have won back the white house if you do the extrapolation from the house seats and certainly the fact that they won the governor's races in those key battleground states that hillary lost of pennsylvania wisconsin and michigan means that there is as i say a, a route to 2020 that looks optimistic i think what's interesting is some of the political discussion that's come out of where candidates did and didn't win and debating the political differences between those candidates. And certainly, if you look at the the debate that's going on within the Democratic Party, as in terms of thinking about who they pick as their candidate for 2020, then the midterm elections were definitely better for the Joe Biden end of the candidate spectrum as opposed to the Bernie Sanders end of the political spectrum. A lot of the poster candidates for the progressive wing, as they call it over there, would have uh, 
uh, didn't succeed on the night. And it was much more of the sort of centre ground Democrats who who did well on the night. And so the sort of tr- the more kind of traditional Democrats rather than the kind of new and up and coming. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that means that, so for example, uh, one of the senators who uh, had already built a bit of a profile through the uh, Supreme Court hearings was Amy Klubashir. And she's someone who's now definitely put herself in the top tier of candidates with the Senate result that that she had uh, this time around. But there's just loads of candidates, isn't there? There's loads and loads of potential candidates. So we're still really in that position where you know, as you say, from Joe Biden onwards, there's still a score of potential candidates. Yeah. And the risk for the Democrats is that you end up in the situation where the Republicans were with the field of candidates they had last time, where if you've got more than a dozen candidates going into the primary races, then you only need someone to necessarily win 30% of the vote repeatedly to emerge as the candidate, which is, of course, is how Donald Trump managed to emerge. He wasn't winning those primaries with 50-60% of the vote. He was just getting the 30% of the vote that he needed in a in a contested field. So it doesn't always Because mean... the opposition is so split between Exactly. Yeah. And and so therefore the question for Democrats is does that matter? Does it matter if you have a large field of candidates going into the primaries? On one level, that is the whole point of the primaries, which is to act as the sort of interview process and to whittle the candidates down. But you can see how if you have a large field, that's where potentially if someone like Bernie Sanders did decide to run with that automatically higher name recognition, then the level of vote that he would need to emerge could could mean that a large field would be play to his advantage rather than when it was just a head-to-head race between him and Hillary. So I, ideally, you'd want to see what we would think of as more progressive candidates coming forward and, and basically working some of that stuff out before we get to the primaries. Yeah, and my personal view is I just think the Democrats need a generational change. Like, if it's a choice between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, then I think that's pretty depressing for kind of both factions, I would say, within the Democratic Party. And what we do want to see is some of the younger generation or relative terms, younger generation coming through. But again, one of the debates that I think we'll see play out within uh, democratic activists is if you look back at the results from last time, you can essentially conclude that there is a chunk of the American electorate that is misogynist and or racist in terms of both their reaction to having had Obama as presidency and their reaction to the prospect of having Hillary as president. Uh, And what do you do as a conclusion to that? Do you say, oh, right, okay, well, therefore, we need to pick another old white guy? Or do you say, well, no, actually, we're going to pick someone like Kamala Harris for sake of argument, because we think she'd be the best president? Yeah, well, I would say the latter, right? Well, sure, so would I. But but that's, that's, I think, one of the dynamics that's going to play out in terms of how we see the candidates uh, emerging. And who I mean, Obama ultimately... did win. Right, absolutely. Um, and uh, and I think the question is, as we always say in these situations, is that ultimately, I think one of the things, again, that Tuesday's uh, midterm elections tell us is that what hopefully the Democrats won't do is just get caught in that who can be the most anti-Trump debate, but actually recognising where this will be won, and that is by coming up with a bigger and better argument. Because... At the end of the day, within the American electoral system, you know, you have got to, as we know from the result last time, win state by state, not just nationally. And so therefore, what is your argument that is going to persuade someone who voted for Trump in Ohio last time to vote a different way this time? On on that question, on that very specific question, actually, um, 
I, I've always found that essentially to blag you away on a topic, you just need to kind of basically have one sentence. And my thing about American politics is go, of course, Ohio is very important. <laughs> and people go, oh yeah, Connor, Connor, he kind of knows what he's talking about in US politics. He's, um, but my understanding, I you, think since the advent of Twitter, you might need slightly more of a hot take hmm. than that. No. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you were saying earlier that the projection says that uh, the Democrats could win in 2020 on the results from from last week but my understanding was that in florida and ohio which are two quite important swing states they hadn't done quite well and ohio is as we all know incredibly important so does this mean it says here (laughs) does does this mean that these states these swing states uh are kind of are changing and and some of the the traditional ones aren't as important no i think there were that they they obviously are part of the maths that you need to get to that 270 votes within the Electoral College. Florida is interesting because as we speak, we now don't know what the results are going to be in Florida because they've both gone to mandatory recounts because it turns out the elections are so close there. And uh, this is one of the interesting things about US elections, how they often declare the results before they've even bothered to count all the votes because they just think, oh, well, we've got enough of the votes counted, so therefore it's not going to change. But in in Florida, the, because of the mandatory recount law they have there, then we've still got a few more days to wait uh, to see what the results are going to be there. And certainly, if a Democrat can't win statewide in Florida and Ohio, then that does make the map harder for winning in 2020. But in and of themselves, I don't think you can say because the Democrats didn't do well uh, this time around, it therefore means they've got a problem in, in 2020. And you also saw in Ohio, uh, Sherrod Brown win for the Senate there, which uh, was an interesting example of where a moderate Democrat did win. Is there any prospect, uh, and I'm really spitballing here, but any prospect at all of at some point them just going, we could pro- we probably don't need the college system anymore. We could just count all the votes and see who gets the most. Like that seems like a sensible way of running a presidential election, as far as I'm concerned. But no, because the problem is that the or the advantages, if you advocate for that system, is that the the uh, influence, some would say, disproportionate influence it gives to the smaller states. If you do have a presidential election that just becomes about turnout, then you'll see the dynamic of a of a campaign change. Mm. Now. My personal view is that, yes, I think that would be a far more logical uh, result than uh, uh, system than having the Electoral College. And you've seen the Democrats be the losers of this, both with Al Gore and with Hillary Clinton, where they've won the popular vote and lost in the Electoral College. But ultimately, because it requires an amendment to the Constitution and those smaller states would have to pass an amendment to the Constitution, uh, to use a cliche, turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the smaller states aren't going to vote to take away their, uh, yeah. their own influence. Um, why do you think that people are kind of more in, so interested in American politics when, you know, Westminster politics, the way it is at I the mean, moment? I mean, Westminster politics is is great, isn't it? I mean, it's just like really inspiring and <laughs> it's a delight to be a part of. Yeah, and I, do, and I do have this uh, regular debate with my American friends at the moment, like, which was the biggest screw up of 2016? Was it Brexit or Trump? And you can... Uh, did, argue the uh, you can argue the legacy of both uh, do, uh, through do, that. Do they follow British politics in the way that people here follow American politics? I don't think people stay up for the local election results in uh, <laughs> in the US outrageous. in quite the same way. There's, but... there's pe- people in New York go, yeah, yeah. I'll come to bed in a minute. I'm just uh, I'm just waiting for the uh, for the Derbyshire 
results. Exactly. I, I, when I used to do those four-day election live blogs for Labour List, I'm outraged that people in Ohio aren't going, uh, but when will Tower Hamlets come through? Exactly. <laughs> sure, you, you must have seen a spike in your US traffic at that time. No, look, I mean, it, it's an important point, and it is one where I'm very self you know, conscious of it. I would call myself a self-confessed sort of geek when it comes to American politics, but I'm also well aware of the sort of limitations of trying to do the read across. I think the I think the the interest comes twofold. One, just because of the size and the scale of the United States when it comes to its elections. And and there are certain things that, although they're entertaining in American politics, I would never want us to replicate here, not least, for example, the influence of TV advertising and what that means in terms of the amount of fundraising that American candidates want to do. But I think the, the connection with American politics is also just one in terms of I think more about the arguments than it is about the the way in which you actually conduct an election. And there was that moment in 1992 when Labour lost the 1992 general election and there were all these opinion articles being written about how uh, you know, Labour could never win again after its fourth election defeat, and so Must on. And then Labour lose. Yeah, and then it was mm. the, and then in the November of that year, you had Bill Clinton win in 1992, and that was seen as the start of a revival for the centre left uh, that obviously led to Tony Blair's election, but also Gerhard Schroeder's election in Germany, and so on. So. I think there is a bit where we all follow the cycles of this more than we do really. We should follow the individual detail and obsessing about what's happening yeah. in the 6th Kentucky district or something like that. Exactly. I mean, when uh, Macron was um, was elected, you know, there was a similar sort of thing, wasn't there? You know, like, could could Macron happen in, in Britain? Mm, yeah. And it's actually like a pretty straightforward conversation. It goes like this. No, because we have a different political system. (laughs) But people can't resist but want to see this as a kind of, that people can't resist but help want to see the similarities, whereas actually there are a lot of differences. Yeah, and also TV pays a a factor in this, obviously, as well, with the culture of, uh, you know, we all want to believe that our politics can be run like the West Wing at the end of the day, but in this country you end up with the thick of it or Yes Minister is the TV versions of our politics. And, uh, And so there is... There is still, I think, you know, for some, maybe that idea of America is this, 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 um, you know, shining what, city on shining a hill. City yeah. on, thank you. That's the phrase I was struggling for that, uh, that that could be followed. But I would also make the point, and I would in, encourage to others to do the same. That the last two times I've been abroad for elections has actually been to Ireland rather than to the states, and there are plenty of other examples that we can uh, learn from close to home. I certainly wouldn't suggest that. Uh, you know that, that that there's large parts of the American political culture that we would want to to bring over here. Yeah, like I mean, there's been precious little discussion actually about what's gone on in Spain. Mm, yeah. it, even though some of the problems that they're facing, you know, a, a region that wants to to leave, um, you know, they've got similar kind of like cultural issues that we have, and the socialists have just won. But we don't seem to be talking about it very much. Right. And I guess there are reasons of language and so on for that. But it is also just partly laziness as well. I think that there are, if you look at look at our, our news across a whole range of things, why is it that some parts of the world get a disproportionate amount of coverage to other? And there is still this this magnetic pull for good or bad that, that, that the United States uh, seems to have, where, whereas actually, for a whole number of reasons, it probably would have been better for us to be paying attention to debate on the continent much more. Indeed. I'm afraid we have run out of time with that, but Matthew Doyle, thank you very much. Thank you. Every week we ask a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's Extra Show. This week my question is, how many US presidents do we know to have been left-handed? 
do let us know if you think you know the answer by emailing office at progressonline.org.uk and you might just win a progress mug that's all we've got time for this week please do give us a rating and leave a comment on itunes and subscribe via itunes spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and thanks very much for listening been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast Mm -hmm.